0: Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance.
1: Today's episode is full of interesting info about keto, particularly if you're new to keto. And if you're like, oh, I've been in the ketosis diet, I've been eating fat forever, I drink bulletproof coffee, I do it intravenously, Uh, wherever you are, we go into some really cool stuff about protein and what it does to you. And it's with a real famous guy. So this is just a great episode. And I hope you listen to the whole thing and enjoy it. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation, Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day, you probably already know that your gut microbiome, all those bacteria in your gut are full of information about our health and they influence our health. But a group of researchers just announced that they genetically engineered bacteria to produce molecules that could treat certain disorders by altering your metabolism, like they could reduce your blood glucose levels. Metabolic diseases like type 2 diabetes are a huge target for pharmaceutical companies and drug therapies. I'm a bit concerned because even though the bacteria engineered, they could be helpful. But one thing that happens when you engineer a bacteria and you let it go, it talks to other bacteria via something called plasmid level group sharing. So God knows, do we really want bacteria in our gut that reduce our ability to use glucose or do we just want to fix our bodies so that we know how to use glucose and not too, not put too much of that stuff into the system? I'm not really sure, but I can tell you what I would bet on. Anyway, it's kind of cool that we're now engineering those bacteria in the gut. I do not have a problem with engineered bacteria in my gut that are shown to be safe; that will make me live to a thousand years old. Uh, I'm actually willing to take that risk. But if it's just to reduce a disease that we could fix by eating the right foods, maybe that's not worth it. Hey, that's just me. Before we get into today's show, I got to tell you about one of my favorite travel hacks. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm showing this to you. Bulletproof.com slash YouTube will bring you there. The Bulletproof Brain Octane 3-ounce travel size. A bottle you can refill. You get it one time. You can fill it from your 32-ounce bottle anytime you want. TSA-approved size. You can carry silver with you. Doesn't leak. I tested it in my wife's high-end handbag at 22,000 feet elevation. Why? Because I have equipment in my labs that takes me to 22,000 feet elevation, at least in terms of air pressure. So kind of cool stuff. And you know what brain octane does for your brain. It's awesome. It adds ketones to your diet directly as an exogenous form of ketones. All right. Today's show is going to be a lot of fun because it's with a friend, a guy has been on the show before, and one of the leaders in this revolution around what we should eat, how we can exercise, and things like that. It is none other than Mark Sisson, who is a very well-known endurance athlete, a very successful website, Mark's Daily Apple, and a guy who has a new book out that's pretty cool. You might have heard the last interview with him where we talked about new ways to do endurance exercise that don't beat you up as well. And you've probably read Primal Blueprint by now. If not, it's a book that I like. And we're going to talk today about the Keto Reset Diet, Reboot Your Metabolism in 21 Days and Burn Fat Forever. Mark, where did you come up with such a catchy title?
2: Oh, gosh. So, yeah. (laughs) So, I, you know, I'm a marketer, right? And I have to come up with something that's catchy. And uh, ketogenic has been taken, and keto is kind of the new, you know, catch-all phrase for ketogenics, uh, ketosis, ketones. Uh, And then, um, you know, this is a this is a mainstream book. I'm 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 not tired of speaking to the fringe all the time, but I want to bring more people into my group that I play with. And so, you know, you kind of have to put the word diet in there uh, to attract the attention of those people who might be looking for, you know, some some additional information on how to achieve the body composition that they want. So the keto reset diet basically takes a keto lifestyle and we're going to get really deeply into the weeds on that today. Uh, and uses the concept of keto as as a tool, as a strategy in your armament of all things that have to do with your lifestyle. So it's not like I'm taking you into ketosis for the rest of your life. It's using keto as a strategy for a couple of weeks at a time to reset your metabolism, with the idea that you want to improve your metabolic flexibility and your metabolic efficiency. And in doing so, everything good in your life, improves. You decrease inflammation. You increase your amount of muscle mass. You increase the amount of energy you have. You certainly increase access to cognition and to productivity. Um, I found I sleep better. So there are a lot of things that happen as a result of, of this metabolic flexibility and this metabolic efficiency that can be achieved through a regular keto reset.
1: It's awesome that you said something really important. You said you go into it, you reset it and you grow metabolic flexibility. Um, I, in the early, early days, would do like hardcore keto for long periods of time. And at first I, I felt good, but over time I developed problems from that, including I had a, a leaky gut, some food allergies, and my sleep quality went down. But if I'm never in ketosis, my life absolutely sucks. And, and so by doing something similar to what you're talking about here, um, I just had my, uh, let's see, what was it? It was my insulin sensitivity tested. And they tested on a scale of one to 160 on the test that I was using. And I scored one. I had perfect insulin sensitivity. And at the same time, my glucose tolerance was around uh, 70th percentile. And they looked at me and they're like, it's not possible to be highly insulin sensitive and highly glucose tolerant. And I'm like, yes it is because you're looking at it. But what that comes from is metabolic flexibility and ketosis is part of that. So thank you for just laying that out up front, Mark. Uh, because I'm, I'm concerned you get some of these, you get like the, the raw vegan crowd, and I've been a raw vegan, a devout raw vegan for a while, so I'm speaking from experience here, and they'll be like, you know, never cook anything, and it has to be you know, only plants, and, and it, it's very pedantic, and I'm seeing the same kind of mindset emerge from the very fringe of the keto movement, where it's like, if you ever eat a carb again, you're a bad person, right? <laughs> no, What's your take on you know, that?
2: Well, I mean, my take on that is, look, um, the tagline for my company is live awesome. And yep. the idea is I want people to, to feel good. I want them to extract the greatest amount of enjoyment, pleasure, uh, fulfillment, satisfaction out of every moment possible. And in many cases, that includes enjoying every single bite of food you eat. So metabolic p- flexibility simply means that you create this, this adaptation in your body that is hardwired after two million years, two and a half million years of human evolution and hundreds of years of mammalian evolution before that. To be able to adapt to a, um, uh, an environment where sometimes there's a lot of food and sometimes there's no food, and to be able to cruise through at a steady state, accessing stored body fat, uh, burning that body fat with ease and grace, uh, not needing to take in extra carbohydrate, um, certainly cr- creating ketones, which the brain can then use uh, as a fuel instead of glucose. But when you, kind of, when you come in contact or you encounter some glucose, to be able to burn that as well, you know, and, and so, you know, this metabolic flexibility means we're really good at burning fat, ketones, uh, carbohydrates, slash glucose, and if need be, protein, versus the, the person that I I've talked about, sort of the prototypical human standard American diet guy or gal who has been so dependent on carbohydrates their whole life, mm-hmm. they're really good at burning sugar. They're really good at at, at storing glycogen and then drawing down that glycogen. They're not really good at accessing their stored body fat. They're not, they've never really had the the necessity of making ketones over an extended period of time to give the brain the opportunity to enjoy this super fuel that we can use. So back to the question, which is, you know, um, how do I feel about people never eating another carb? I couldn't do that. I mean, I live in what I call the keto zone now. The keto zone for me is basically primal. It's basically if you take a midpoint of say 100 110 grams of carbs a day, some days I'm 50 grams below that, some days I'm 40 or 50 grams above that. But because I did the work, because I built the metabolic machinery to burn fats efficiently, to use ketones efficiently, where I fall on that spectrum on a day-to-day basis, there's no bearing on my on my demeanor, yeah. on my <laughs> energy levels, on my muscle mass. It's like I don't know, I don't care if I'm yeah. in keto or out of keto. It's just I'm in what I call the keto zone. Now, Dave, if I were to take in three or 400 grams of carbs, largely in the form of sugar every day for a couple of weeks, I would exit the keto zone yeah. for quite a while. And I'd have to do the work to get back in. But once this is the beauty of the reset, once you've done the work, and, and in this case, the work is I want you to take three weeks to slowly stair step your way into a low carb, but not dramatic low carb. Uh, eating pattern to where you get used to burning fats to where you get used to not having so much carbohydrate and so glucose so much glucose and then when you're ready to go keto and by the way you have to earn the right to go keto in our book you have to pass a midterm exam um, <laughs> and and then if you if you get 75 or more on the exam I'll talk about what that is a little bit later then you earn the right to go keto and I suggest people go six weeks keto that's six weeks has an amazing effect on increasing the mitochondria in the number of mitochondria, increasing the efficiency of your existing mitochondria and the new mitochondria. Um, you know, upregulating all the enzyme systems involved in accessing stored fat. Um, in, and again, those, those, that metabolic machinery that you're building will continue to operate a- as long as you don't go off the rail.
1: You said something in there that, that I, I just loved hearing. You said, and if you must to burn protein for fuel, why did you say if you must to burn protein for fuel?
2: Well, uh, you know, if you look at any textbook on on um, meta- metabolism and human body and bio uh, biochemistry, you'll know that the, the body can burn uh, mm-hmm. certain amino acids, and certain amino acids enter uh, various energy cycle. cycles, yeah. the Krebs cycle. But but for the, but you know the the fear that a lot of people have um who are in ketosis is that uh you know that that they're not that that they're not eating enough protein and that uh uh you know they need to eat more protein than that but then the other fear on the other side is that if you eat too much protein in ketosis then somehow it's it's bad for you it all turns to sugar. Uh, Not easily. (laughs) No, not easily. So I'm just suggesting that I'm recognizing that gluconeogenesis does occur and if you're somebody who hasn't uh, eaten a meal for three days, if you're on a fast, um, you'll turn some of your protein into energy. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but I'm just suggesting that that's, that that is something that does happen. There are that is an energy source.
1: It's just it's after fat and carbs, though. In, in yeah, terms so of it's, priority, it's, it's
2: right and right. in, in ketones. I mean, it's it's like it's like it's kind of a last priority because the body certainly wants to hold on to. Uh, it's protein stores. And one of the things that happens when you go keto um, is you start flipping all these genetic switches, uh, These, well, this, this epigenome that, that comes in and says, okay, we're going to start sparing protein. Um, we're going to recycle amino acids rather than deaminate them and pee them out. Uh, and it's, a, it's an amazing, it's almost like a closed system, if you think about it. Uh, and there's a little bit of loss, but there's not, not as much loss as people think. So you could go, you literally, not, I'm suggesting people do this, but you can go three or four days without eating and not lose much muscle mass, not lose any muscle mass, you know, cause you're only literally getting, you're going through 10 or 20 grams of, of protein total per day. The rest is made up with this protein sink that recycles amino acids. The rest is made up with, made with, um, you know, autophagy and the, the fact that cells are now consuming damaged proteins for energy. They're consuming uh, damaged fats. Uh, so there's a bit of house cleaning that goes on. So all of these things, you know, kind of contribute to what we would suggest would be the anti, anti-aging uh, benefits of keto.
1: It's, it's interesting. I finally just uh, straight out, look, the Bulletproof diet is a low to moderate protein diet, but a lot of times, especially if you go back into the 80s, early 90s, it was these high-protein diets to try and force the body to burn protein for fuel. If you're on a low-carb, high-protein, low-fat diet, what happens to the body?
2: Oh, my God. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, (laughs) right. So your body is trying to convert excess. First of all, it's trying to get rid of um, what would be considered a toxic amount of amino acids. Yes. Um, And then it's trying to convert some of those into energy. It's a very... um, Energy inefficient pathway. It probably has a lot of reactive oxygen species and free radical damage that accompanies it. Um, you know, the irony is that most of the guys who are doing that, or a lot of the guys who are doing that, you know, 300 grams of protein a day, were also doing steroids, so the body could actually use all of that nitrogen and, and incorporate it. But if you're a, an average person trying to take in 300 grams of, of protein a day, it is—it's um, not only you know counterproductive, but then we can talk about the mTOR pathway. Yes, and the that's where it's going. Yeah. So you can talk about the upregulation of some of these these sort of growth pathways that that benefit a young child who's growing or benefit a teen adolescent who's trying to put on weight. But at some point, growth in the human body kind of segues from muscle mass to precancerous conditions and things like that. So, um, you know, you, I think there's a there's a real uh, whole area of, of investigation into what is an appropriate amount of protein. And how much is too much? And I know guys like Ron Rosedale have been talking about this for a long time. I mean, Ron would say, you know, more than 100 grams a day is, is, is problematic. I'm not sure I'm there yet, but I'd say 200 a day is problematic. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as we as we look at. So that, that kind of brings us back to like, what is a meal? And how many meals <laughs> exactly. are you going to eat in a day? Like, right. how can you possibly eat 250 grams of protein a day in good conscience and think that you're doing yourself a favor? right? It's just, it's automatically, unless you're trying so hard because you're doing skinless chicken breasts. And by the way, Dave, have you ever tried to eat a lot of skinless chicken breasts day after day after day?
1: Years ago when I weighed 300 pounds, absolutely. It It's actually worse than tofu in terms of... It's
2: horrendous. <laughs> it's just absolutely, you get sick of it so quick. So yeah. anyway, we're back to what is you know, what what sort of things do we eat on the keto reset diet? Right, right. And it's it's not that.
1: And I I want listeners who are new to keto just to understand we're not talking about this high protein thing. Because a lot of people who aren't familiar with ketosis and these higher healthy fat diets, they're actually thinking they're going to to be in ketosis if they eat, you know, a steak and chicken breast and eggs every day. Uh, And I, I know that your book settles that, you know, sets it straight, and, and we certainly agree on that point. That's not how you get in ketosis, and that's not how you live a long time. It's not even how you look good. Like, it, it's it's 1980s logic, just like the low-fat thing.
2: Right. By the way, you know, just getting into ketosis isn't the goal. The goal isn't to win, you, you know, the local <laughs> ketone contest about exactly. how, 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 how high a millimole you can, you can show on a glucose or on a, on a ketone blood strip or, you know, blow in a, in a, in a meter or pea purple on a on a you know urine stick the goal here is to burn fat yes. and and as a byproduct of being really really good at burning fat and unburdening yourself of having to take in more carbohydrate the byproduct is that the the liver produces ketones it takes some of the stored fat that you have or some of the dietary fat it makes ketones and it can send those ketones largely to the brain and it blows my mind to think that the, that the liver can make 150 grams of ketones a day. That's a mind-boggling amount. That's like 700 calories worth of energy available to the brain. And – but back to these, these big ketone numbers, people who are new to ketosis and who are new to the keto diet and are looking to get those, those – the deep purple on the pea stick or the, you know, or the four or five millimolar or six millimolar are missing the point. It, what happens initially? is the body goes, okay, we're not going to get much in the way of carbohydrate that we can convert to glucose. And if that's the case, then the the muscles, which have only really used glucose, glycogen, over the past few decades of this person's life, they're going to start craving ketones. And then the muscles are going to learn that they're going to have to burn some fat. So now you've got fat and ketones being burned in the muscles. And then you've got the brain, which isn't getting the glucose, now using ketones. Well, now you've got competition between the muscles, and the brain for this beautiful, rich, new fuel, which we call ketones. After a couple of weeks, and typically three or four weeks in ketosis, the muscles go, you know, we can handle this. We can do a lot of work just burning fat. And so the muscles become less reliant on ketones, and they literally start saving the ketones, sparing the ketones for the brain. When that happens, there looks to be a decrease in the amount of ketones that you put out because the body doesn't want to do really any more work than it has to at any one time. And if some, at some point, the body says, okay, the muscles are burning fat really well. Um, we make a little bit of glucose from gluconeogenesis. The muscles don't really need ketones. Uh, the brain needs ketones, but it doesn't need that many because the brain doesn't have this huge metabolic up and down surge of, of requirement for energy. The, the brain's kind of a steady state thing. So the liver kind of goes, okay, if we can make just enough ketones to fuel the brain on a day in, day out, we don't have to waste ketones in the blood and the urine and the breath. And so you no longer get those four and five and six millimolar tests. In fact, the longer you've been in yep. ketosis, and I know guys have been in ketosis for, you know, 10 or 12 years, they might be 0.3 millimolar if they actually did a ketone test. And, you know, by Finney and <laughs> definition, they're not in ketosis but they're sure as hell living a keto life, right? They're, and, you know, they're just, they're getting 20, 30, maybe 40 grams of carbs a day, but the body is so adept at utilizing fat, at making ketones just, just enough and not too much, and the brain is so comfortable making those ketones or using those ketones that it doesn't have to send any message to the adrenals to freak out and, and, and secrete cortisol. It becomes this, this, like I said, this beautiful, almost closed system Well, if you think about it, if you have a problem with
1: type 2 diabetes, you're getting blood sugar backing up into the blood because your body can't use it very well. If you have extremely high ketone levels backing up into the blood, it's because you can't use ketones very well either. And when you become well adapted to using glucose or ketones from fat in your metabolism, you shouldn't have spikes of either one of them. I I can tell you my number on a daily basis, the one I'd like to hit every day is 0.5. Uh, millimoles. There you go. And when yeah. we're talking about these numbers, uh, if you're listening to this and you're like, keto, what? Uh, when you're when you're learning how to do ketosis, and you'll read about that in the keto reset diet, um, you'll read about that. Actually, you'll hear about that from lots of guests on on the on Bulletproof Radio. Uh, but one of the things you do is you either piano stick or you poke your finger, and you get a reading on a digital meter that tells you how much of this fat burning molecules in the blood, and Typically, in the keto community, if you're not at 0.8 or higher, you're not in ketosis. But if you're listening to this and you ate carbs and you're not keto-adapted, you probably have 0 or 0.1 in your blood. And what Mark and I are saying is, look, if you get up to 0.3, 0.5, you're in the keto lifestyle even though you're not all the way in full-blown ketosis. And those two levels, uh, 0.38 and and 0.5, uh, they can reset your hunger hormone uh, called ghrelin and your fullness h- hormone called cck and uh, that's stuff that it's also in headstrong uh, my last book and the idea there is your whole behavior changes your whole brain changes when you do this and and so that's kind of the 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 101 version of this and your book i'm guessing it it has to i don't remember that chapter but it has to have that that basic info in it right mark so people people new to this can read uh, can read the keto reset diet
2: yes the term ketosis has this connotation of an excess of ketones in the bloodstream, right? Just like type 2 diabetes is an excess of sugar in the bloodstream and an inability to appropriately dispose of it. Um, So ketosis, for those who have been living a keto lifestyle for a long time, ketosis is like, they don't even want to be there. It's it's like something they don't want to have. They want to be making just enough ketones, mostly burning fat. Again, this is really about metabolic flexibility, the ability to take your fat out of uh, out of your own body fat stores and burn it, you know, whenever you want at very high rates of output, uh, and and in so doing to access a whole new realm of freedom from hunger. We talk about the grayland and the CCK, um, the fact that that the ketogenic diet yes. or or keto is basically a um, an appetite suppressing diet, and it's 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 an amazing side effect and benefit of this because how many people literally live their lives from one meal to the next driven by hunger so to 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 be free of that hunger and and to kind of wake up one morning and go i don't feel like eating so i'm not going to eat and then i'm and then not eat until two o'clock in the afternoon and have that be okay you know, and have that be um the norm rather than three square meals a day i get I, i just i'm blown away by the fact that society has now created this standardized eating pattern which is three square meals a day or for some it's breakfast a mid-morning snack lunch a mid-afternoon snack dinner and an evening snack but that's not how humans evolved over the millennia you know we evolved to eat fractally to eat once in a while to eat we're, we're actually wired to eat a lot of food when it's present because the 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 evolutionary uh, survival mechanism was well maybe there's not going to be any food in a couple of days, so I better eat as much as I can, store as much as I can in the, in the form of fat, and then because I'm so good at taking fat out of storage and using it as energy, I can go two or three days and not just survive, but thrive. You know, do all of the things um, that I that I would normally do if I were eating and taking in energy, but do it within this closed loop for a couple of days. So
1: when I was heavy and I was working to lose weight. I had this hammered into me, like, if you don't eat six times a day, your body will go into starvation mode, you'll hold on to fat. And and I did that religiously, and, and the first time I heard about you know, skipping a meal or fasting, it created this like visceral sense of dread, partly because I, I felt like I would die if I would skip a meal, because I was so stuck on this glucose thing, and because my metabolism was broken, right? So for someone who's listening to this who hasn't experienced any of these states, what you're saying, Mark, is is, Absolutely true. I could not have imagined being able to say, you know, I skipped breakfast and lunch and I had a full day and I, I just don't really mind. Like, I, I'm okay either way. It, it, it's not a, a oh, look at me, I'm good, I'm really hungry, I'm just gonna man up, I'm, I'm gonna use my willpower. No. It, it's that I don't care. And it's that not caring, I'm good either way. That's the liberating thing. That's why ketosis is, is just taking off. Why it's actually I think eclipsed paleo in terms of search terms recently, and it it's has. just because like wow in some paleo diets some of the, the primal the teachings uh, can put you in ketosis but they don't always and if you're eating you know paleo cookies made out of you know honey <laughs> and molasses and God knows what else fifty two grams in, of carbs yeah exactly you
2: know, of, a, of approved sweeteners
1: <laughs> exactly uh, it's uh, uh it it's not that uh, so th- this is uh, it's it's more nuanced but it is the most liberating diet you can possibly imagine. And it's certainly the the basis of my recommendations are you gotta be in ketosis sometimes. And your book is doing a really good job of getting people jump-started into this and, and just putting them on a, on a real path to doing it, which which is a service.
2: Well, thanks. I, I wanna just touch on what you said before about the, your, the old paradigm by which you lived, which was multiple small meals a day, because if you didn't keep up your glucose levels, you go into cannibal mode you'd cannibalize muscle tissue, Um, that would lower your metabolism, which would make it even more difficult to burn off excess calories. And by the way, all that stuff is true. You know, all that's, if you are living in that sugar slash carbohydrate paradigm, and you've trained your body to to access most of its energy from glycogen or from food, uh, primarily carbohydrate, then, then you lose your ability, you literally your ability to burn fat atrophies. And, you know, you don't need as many carbohydrate, uh, as many um, mitochondria because fat burns in the mitochondria. But if you're not burning much fat, the cells go, well, we don't need to maintain this expensive machinery to burn fat if you're never going to burn fat. If you're always going to be giving us, every couple of hours, a fresh supply of glucose, then we'll become really good at burning, fat, uh, burning glucose and we'll suck at burning fat. Now, the danger of that is if you do skip meals, then exactly what you said you would fear happen does happen. If a body is so used to just getting its energy from glucose and glycogen, and then you withhold that, the brain, which needs glucose because hasn't learned how to burn ketones, the brain goes, oh my God, there's no glucose. We have to take immediate action, evasive action. We have to secrete cortisol in the adrenals. We have to go tear down some muscle tissue to send some of those amino acids to the liver to become glucose so we can fuel the brain. And that's, how most of the world lived, at least most of the Western world lived, trying to lose weight over the past, you know, several decades. So all that stuff that's based on a on a carbohydrate uh, heavy diet, it, it's all true. You do need to eat multiple small meals a day. Uh, you do get in trouble if you skip a meal. But but if you flip all that stuff on its end and you go, well, I, if I learn to become good at burning fat, and if I become fat adapted and keto adapted. Then all of a sudden, my muscles don't need glucose or glycogen to, 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 to move around throughout the day. In fact, at very high rates of output, 80 85 90% of all the energy that I need can come directly from fat. Um, if I can train my b- brain to thrive on ketones instead of needing glucose, then whenever uh, I, I choose not to eat, I'm taking fat out of my own body fat storage, I'm making ketones, I'm losing weight, I'm trending toward my ideal body composition, I'm doing house cleaning in my cells, I'm repairing damaged DNA, Um, I'm decreasing inflammation. I mean, all these amazing things happen when you become fat and keto adapted that are just not available to you when you are a carb and sugar burner.
1: That's uh, motherhood and apple pie to me. Well, apple pie made with a gluten-free zero-carb crust and no apples, right? (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> M- MCT oil in the crust. There, there we go. We'll, we'll, we'll crank it up somehow. Uh, so walk me through the keto reset. Like what, what happens when you wake up in the morning? Uh, like, like just kind of walk me through a typical day during the- Sure. Reset so
2: the book really is about, first of all, like I do in all my books, I spend a fair amount of time explaining why we're doing this, um, why what we've been doing in the past hasn't worked. Um, you know, we talk about the fact that there are probably a lot of ways to do keto oh, yeah. bad. Um, there's also, there's also a lot of ways to do keto. Well, there's Mm -hmm. not just one way. So I want to give the reader some opportunity to look at the different ways and to, to explore that. But one thing that I learned, um, early on, and the reason I went keto in the first place, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I've been primal for 15 years, so I've had pretty low carb intake. You know, my, my daily carb routine has been 70 to 150 grams a day, max 150 grams a day, very, very comfortably. For for decades, so for me to get to the next level, it it was just about all right. Can I find forty more carbs to take out of my diet uh, to get me fully into ketosis, so that I spend you know six weeks in keto and never come out because I want I want to have that training adaptation that stays with me for a long time, right? So in the book we talk about well, how do you get from like the old days of Atkins? Oh my God, they would, you know, they'd, the guy would be having four or 500 yeah. grams of carbs a day. And then they go, all right, I'm going to do Atkins. I'm going to go down to 20. Well, that was just yeah. such a you feel like poor crap. failure. Ugh. So we, everyone would. And, you know, some people could like will their way through it, you know, for three weeks and finally come out on the other side, but most people yeah. would fail. Um, and rightly so. It was just so, so difficult for the, for the body, particularly the brain to, to adapt to. So we stair step you down by taking your primal first. We, you know, we obviously we look at what what are the foods that don't serve us well in any context in the, in our diet, and those would be, you know, the pies, the cakes, the cookies, the candies, the sweetened beverages, the sodas, and all that stuff. I think most people know that by now. But then we go, okay, well, what are some of the processed foods that aren't serving? You know, the you know the refined grains that are the flours that are that permeate every processed food in the center aisle of the store. Um, And then what are some of the potential irritants that are in your diet that may be coming from even whole grains? You know, are you, do you have a gluten issue? Are you, whether or not you're CELAC, I think a lot of people have a gluten issue. I'm certainly one of them. So we get rid of um, the grain foods and, and, you know, we just leave you with a pretty amazing spread of a cornucopia, if you will, of food. It's meat, fish, fowl, eggs, nuts, seeds, vegetables, lots of vegetables, a little bit of fruit. And Within that three weeks, you, your body starts to understand that there's not going to be as much ready access to glucose. The body understands we're going to have to start burning a little bit more fat. The body kind of ad- adapts to a new, uh, a new set of, of intake criteria. And the body is phenomenal at, at this. If you give it the right signals, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, the Barry zone Sears, Diet guy, yeah. Barry, Barry, yeah, Barry said, Barry said, you know, Every bite of food is a hormonal right. experience, and I love that. I always dug that comment because it's true. So, you know, you have, you have insulin, and you have leptin, and you have ghrelin, and you have glucagon, and you have epinephrine, and norepinephrine, and cortisol, and all the sex hormones, and you know, and, and thyroid hormones, and everything kind of circulating in the body. And these are all just messaging systems that are trying to keep you in homeostasis and try to keep you alive. So every bite of food you have is basically providing information um, to the body. So what we're trying to do with uh, with the keto diet and with this uh, this stair-stepping down is to start to reconfigure what these signals are going to look like. And so there'll be less and less glucose, and there'll be less and less glucose metabolites, and there'll be a little bit more healthy fat. And we're going to get rid of a lot of the, you know, we're going to get rid of the industrial seed oils because we know that those are problematic with with insulin sensitivity. Uh, and so at the end of three weeks, you've kind of cleaned your diet up and we're not ready to go keto yet because as I said, there's a midterm exam in the book and you have, to, you have to get a 75 on the midterm to earn the right to go keto for six weeks. But that midterm exam does not look at, it doesn't look at blood work. It doesn't look at urine strips. It looks at how do you feel. So different, different metrics. How do you feel when you wake up in the morning? How, can you, how long can you go before you have to eat something? Um, comfortably. I don't want people to be uncomfortable here. I want people to just pay attention to the signals. Can you do a workout in the middle of the morning fast, you know, and not, and, and get through the workout and fine and not be lightheaded. Um, so these sorts of, of questions, also, how much sleep are you getting? Cause sleep is a pretty critical component of this, you know, stress levels and things like that. But if you pass this midterm then we take you into a six week, uh, keto program, and you know, book has 100 plus recipes uh, that are very easy to prepare. To, I mean, I'm I'm all about simplicity when when making food. Uh, but you know, things that we got, we literally hold your hand through this keto process.
1: Now, one of the the real common keto beverages out there, like hundred million cups, sort of common, is bulletproof coffee. Uh, and what what's your take on that in in a keto reset diet?
2: For people who are Maybe struggling with that morning, um, you know, not not eating a real meal, not eating real food at that point. Um, Bulletproof can be bulletproof coffee could be a great way to get some MCT oil into the into the brain and start the whole ketone process going. Um, And that's you know that's a look. I'm looking for all of the tools and strategies that I can find to make this palatable for most people. What
1: about black coffee during fasting? There's some debate about that too for the the true fasting components.
2: Yeah. yeah, No, people would say that even black coffee, um, is, is sort of disrupting the fast and introducing some, um, you know, some digestive processes, uh, and, and central nervous uh, system stimulant, you know, releasing free fatty acids, things like that. Well, so I can, uh, I mean, I know some of the scientists are suggesting that. And again, I have, I love my coffee. So I have a cup of coffee every morning. I start my day with a cup of coffee and I don't, and I don't call it breaking a fast because I don't, I don't, I don't put calories in my coffee. Um, you know, but if I'm, uh, it's an important part of my day to have my coffee. It's just like part of this whole thing is, again, enjoying life. I love coffee. I love routine. I like to sit with my coffee and, and, you know, do the crossword puzzle before I start work. So, so I can. We can talk about the science. oh, Well, you're not really fasting if you're doing that. But as long as the as you're accomplishing the goal, which is to become better at burning fat, then whether or not you use fasting, uh, you know, judiciously or
1: or exclusively, is kind of I, up to I've you. I've got bad news for the scientists who are like, oh, you know, if, if you have anything but water, uh, when you're fasting you also would need to purify the air you breathe because you're actually taking other things in that aren't accounted for in their incredibly precise definition of things. Plus, there's a study that shows the equivalent amount of caffeine in two small cups of coffee doubles ketone production in the morning. So if you wanted more ketones present, I don't know, it seems like that might be a useful thing to do. And uh, I'm highly skeptical of this idea that you should only have water and that somehow that's going to be uh, massively more beneficial than having tea or a little lemon juice or salt in your water or something else. It it seems a little bit puritanical to me, and it makes your life suck. No, I agree. (laughs)
2: That's the bottom line. If it makes your life suck, then like if this is not sustainable, no one's going to want to do it. So what we try to do in the the Keto Reset Diet is make it as sustainable as possible, make it as easy as possible to go keto, to reap the benefits, to decide when you're – when your reset program is over, do you want to hang out there for a while? Do you want to keep going? Because I know people have done it for 10 years and love it. Or do you want to back off a little bit and re-enter that, that primal world of less than 150 grams of carbs every day? But if you're, yeah. if you're in that realm of what I call the keto zone, um, then you'll always have the metabolic machinery to and, and the metabolic flexibility to burn fats when that's all you have. To burn ketones when they're present, to burn glucose if you've done a little bit too much, if you've, if you've over, uh, overindulged. I mean, there's, there are ways in which we can burn glucose off that is cleaner than just that, you know, than consuming sugar and nothing else throughout your life. There's a way to do it, um, partially using the metabolic machinery that you've built, the mitochondria that has less react- reactive oxygen species. So less oxidative damage, less aging, if you will. Um, but metabolic flexibility should be the key here. It should be kind of the, the goal for everybody who wants to live a long, healthy life. Uh,
1: very well said. And, and I'm gonna add something to that. Uh, we're we're both proponents of the, the flexible metabolism. It's not even just living a long, healthy life. It's just not feeling like crap very often. <laughs> like that that is something that was such a part of my life when I was fat. Like, well, is today gonna to be a good day or not gonna be a good day? And when you've built metabolic flexibility in, You know, it might be a bad day because you know the bad things happened at work or whatever. But it's not that kind of a bad day where bad things happened at work and you felt like crap at the beginning of the day. You felt like crap while they happened. It's that it's that just energy to be yourself. That uh, that for me, that's what drives me (laughs) to to push the the health message that I push. Just because I don't ever want to feel that way again. And if someone had just told me that when I was sixteen, man, my life would have been a lot easier, right? And and it's that sense of ease that can happen when you do. A keto reset when you just teach your body to burn fat, and well, okay, so you got a six-week program where people are are learning how to go into this. They pass the midterm exam, uh, they they go into ketosis. What happens after the reset? Like, like what, so, what like I like say, you
2: can do. choose to hang out there more longer. You can you can. I mean, some people choose to if like a lot of people get such great results that they say, well, I don't want to I don't want to end this now, and I can keep going um, as long as. I feel like keeping going. Um, you know, uh, our buddy uh, Todd White at Dry, Dry Farm Wines. I mean, oh yeah, he tried it a little bit, and it's now six years or whatever it is, right? And uh, um, you know, and Luis Villasenor has been doing it for 16 years. And a lot of these guys who have been in keto uh, for a long time, they they just like the light. They like how they feel. They like the lifestyle. They don't yeah. feel they don't feel like they're giving anything up at all. Um, in and my J- case, Jimmy
1: Jimmy Moore is another one of those guys. He'll be in ketosis forever, as far as I can tell, and it seems yeah. to work for him.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, Jimmy. Jimmy's got his issues, and and you know, we try to. I love Jimmy, and we try to work with Jimmy, and um, but you know, he's he's the spokesperson for the keto community, man. Um, yeah. You know, but uh, you know, we've we've got we, the idea about being in ketosis, not being in ketosis. Again, it's it's it comes back to um, how do I enjoy my life? If I enjoy my life because I have a lot of energy, I've got the wherewithal and the strength and the mobility, and uh, you know, I can play with my kids or I can play sports or I can be productive at work. I mean, however that, whatever that metric is for you, if, if keto can add a measure of improvement to that. um, And even if it's just that short-term thing, I mean, I envision this, this keto reset as like people would do an annual cleanse, right? So Mm -hmm. instead of doing an annual cleanse and go down to the ashram and do whatever you're doing for a couple of weeks, some some juice fast. (laughs) Yeah. People would, people would do a keto reset. And, and I, I I can just imagine people doing, I mean, you know, like Melissa's whole 30, you know, you do the whole 30 on a, you know, on a, on an, on occasion. I don't think many people can live in the whole 30. Melissa can't even live the whole 30. And she admits that. It's like, this is a, this is a cleanup, right? This is a thing to reset your, your apostat, your Mm -hmm. thermostat, your, your, whatever you want to call it. But, but, and that's kind of how I envision the keto reset diet. It's like a, a way to go in and reset your metabolism every year, uh, ratchet it up a little bit, improve the mitochondrial efficiency, the number of the mitochondria, um, you know, uh, do some house cleaning with the cells that maybe need some autophagy, um, upregulate your, uh, you know, your immune system, uh, you know, all those things that that are going to, that you're going to focus on almost like, it's almost like a boot camp. It's almost like a training program. Like if you're going to, you train for 10K, well, you're doing six weeks training for 10K. Now you're doing six weeks of eating training for the rest of the year. Um, that's how kind of how I look at it. And I think, again, it's anything you do where you spend time in keto benefits you whether you're in keto or not.
1: Do you ever think of uh, like Ramadan, where you go through a month of basically not eating anything during during the day and oftentimes not even drinking water? Is that a form of a reset as well? It's not you're not necessarily going to go in ketosis. I've I've had a bunch of people reach out who uh, do uh, basically bulletproof during ketosis, like they want to be in ketosis so they don't get hungry during the day during Ramadan. Is that maybe a very a very old historical version of a reset for metabolic flexibility, do you think? I, would I just totally, thought of that. But. I
2: would totally buy into that theory. I would, yeah. You know, there, there, was, there was a time not long ago when I would have said, um, I cannot fathom the concept of going that long without eating. I can't imagine yeah. <laughs> how you could preserve muscle <laughs> tissue. Um, and yet I started you know, when I started to see what happened with my own body, when I started to see how long I could go without eating or how, like I can, I can thrive on 30% fewer calories now than I did five years ago, uh, just based on my reconfiguring, resetting my metabolism through this keto reset diet. People, now some people might look at that and go, well, wait a minute, Mark, you mean you take in 30% fewer calories than you used to Well, that's not a good thing. Don't you want to take in as many calories as you possibly can and not gain weight? You know, and that's, it's bizarre to me that most Americans think in these terms like Dave, what's the most amount of food I can eat and not gain weight? Dave, what's the biggest piece of dessert you can serve me where I won't feel like crap? Um, so there's sort of a gluttonous attitude here and it pervades everything. I go to the gym and people are You know, they're spending 45 minutes on the treadmill five days a week, sweating and grunting and struggling and suffering. I'm like, (laughs) dude, why do you spend so much time on the treadmill? And you know what the answer is? Because I love to eat. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, you would put yourself through that much misery on a regular basis so you could have a couple of more bites of something you probably shouldn't eat in the first place. You realize how crazy that is? And yet that's how we live our lives. So I flipped that over a couple of years ago, and I thought, you know— what's the least amount of food I can eat, maintain muscle mass or build muscle mass, have all the energy I need, never get sick, uh, and most importantly, not get hungry, because hunger throws this thing all out the window. But if you start to think in terms of, well, I it doesn't take me that much food to maintain muscle mass, have the energy, uh, not get sick, and still not be hungry, and it's like eye-opening. So now we take it back to the Ramadan thing, and I think, Mm -hmm. now I start to understand how people who like, people call themselves breatharians, and I'm like, that's yeah. crazy, you got, and yet I'm starting to think, well, maybe there's something to that. Maybe they've they've accessed this closed loop for long periods of time where they actually can do pretty well without eating, Um, and maybe that's what's going on with Ramadan.
1: It could be, and there's some weird stuff, uh, some studies I uncovered when I was doing strange mitochondrial research for Headstrong. It turns out if you eat a lot of plants, you can steal some of the chlorophyll. And if you get sunlight, you can use the chlorophyll to add electrons to your mitochondria. Like the, the swamp thing story, it's a, it's a small percentage. Right. You get sunlight with red light. Red light also contributes electrons in your mitochondria. And if you're doing that and you have a tight closed loop system where your body is recycling things a lot, you probably can get by on, on very little. But most of the, the so-called breatharians, at least the modern ones, um, have been caught, you know, at Seven Eleven with seventy-two hot dogs. Yeah, kind yeah, of things. yeah. But, <laughs> so but still, I'm a little but, skeptical.
2: <laughs> no, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not fully being, uh, you know, uh, uh, aligning aligned with that breatharian thing. But yeah. I just thought the concept is interesting. Like, what if most of the good stuff that happens to humans happens when we're not eating? In other words, eating like mm-hmm. a boa constrictor eats a, you know, uh, an antelope, and then is, is in torpor for a little while and then doesn't have to eat for a couple of, of weeks. A lion can eat 80 pounds or 90 pounds of zebra, take a nap, and then doesn't have to eat for a couple of days. What if, what if that feeding thing, um, it, you know, that we're sort of in a, in a little bit of a limbo as we're packing in energy, but then all the good stuff happens when we're not eating? All the repair, all of the yeah. uh, sparing of muscle, all of the decrease in inflammation. What if all that good stuff is happening when we're not eating? then it would behoove anyone i think to at least embrace a compressed eating window and probably mm-hmm. to en- engage in some form of a slightly extended fast once or twice uh, a year i'm just this is where this is sort of where my brain goes with the next yeah. level of this stuff
1: if you want to live a long time the evidence is in that that there's something to be said for that and it's certainly not going to be harmful uh, and it's different if you're doing a thirty-day water fast, and like you can go off the deep end on that. But you know, skipping food for a few days a couple times a year, <laughs> like it's it sounds like a huge thing, almost like taking a cold shower in the morning. But once you're set up for it metabolically, a cold shower in the morning is no big deal. Yeah. Even though the first time you try it, you feel like you're going to die. But uh, we're talking about that that American thing, you know, how much can I eat? One of my regrets uh, when I was doing the research for the the original Bulletproof Diet book, I ate 4,000 to 4,500 calories a day, which sucks. I, I, had to, I had to force myself to eat that much food. And I was doing it to show that I was eating enough calories to gain 20 pounds in a month, but I only gained three pounds. Therefore, this whole calorie like efficiency matters of your metabolism. And I actually lost weight on that, and I put it in the book. So some people took that and they're like, oh, so on this diet, I have to eat you know, thousands of, I'm mean, no, like, no, like that's not what it's about. But the idea is is different foods will make you store fat or burn muscle uh, or store muscle at different rates. And it all depends on your metabolic flexibility. But you're right. And I, I fully embrace that. Yeah, eat what it takes to feel amazing. And don't eat more than that because you don't want to eat more than that. You don't need to eat more than that. And, and you get that from the Keto Reset, from ketosis in general. And, and you can sort of get it even from the old Atkins diet from the year I was born. But if you're doing it on you know, pork rinds and cream cheese, you're probably going to get some inflammation from that. And it's uh, it's less nuanced. But, man, it's it does set you free. And, and so I'm, I'm happy that, that you've written uh, the Keto Reset Diet to help a lot more people access this and to make it less of a, a radical fringe diet for you know bodybuilders and CrossFitters and biohackers and more into... Is something that honestly, my grandmother uh, could be doing. And right. there's that, that's a great public service mark, and I'm I'm happy that you're doing it.
2: Oh, appreciate that. Um,
1: we're coming up on the end of the show, and I've already asked you because you've been on the show that question. You know, the, the three things that you'd offer to someone who came to you and said, "Hey, look, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being." Um, but I'm wondering if writing the keto reset diet and just your your recent Transformations, your your new experience with endurance exercise and training loads, uh, with growing your company, uh, and with writing the keto reset diet. I'm wondering what would your answer be today if I came to you and I said like I don't perform better at everything. Like what matters most? G- give me the three most important things from the mark we know today.
2: Well, <clears throat> the first one would be um, to um, to to make sure that you understand that your thoughts are just your thoughts. They don't exist in reality. The negative self talk, the chatter, the worry does not exist they're just projection of this thought machine i mean i've you know i i i like to occasionally in some of my seminars tell people that the the human body is a life support mechanism for a thought machine but basically to understand that we get in our own way so frequently because of self-doubt and worry and angst and it doesn't have to be that way um if you can take a step back and understand that that your thoughts are sometimes overriding your creativity does that make sense? Like your, oh, you know, yeah. your, your negative thoughts are, are disallowing the input of the, of the, the consciousness that is out there. That's number one. Uh, number two, um, you know, I still to this day think that sleep is this probably the most overlooked, undervalued component of a healthy lifestyle. And so many people I know don't get enough sleep, uh, and brag mm-hmm. about it. Um, and, and that's, you know, a shame because ultimately I think it catches up with you. Um and then I think the final thing in terms of productivity would be you know find ways to move around no matter how confined you are to a desk find ways to move through space in your day as often as possible because that's really we humans are about uh, mobility and about motion. If we don't uh, invoke that right that we have to move around a lot, we lose it.
1: It's uh, it's so true about movement. And I mean you're you're one of the the leaders, one of the first guys to really talk about that uh, as well as uh, some of these nutritional principles, you know, one of the I like to tell you the, the Godfather of paleo, you know, you've you invented the primal and a lot of the paleo movement came out of your work with the primal diet. So it's it's always a always a pleasure to come on the show and to see the evolution of your of your thinking and in your business and your company. And uh, I look forward to having you back on next time, Mark. Uh, where can people pick up a copy of your book now that it's out?
2: Yeah. So, of course, uh, find purveyors of books you know, everywhere. Amazon, Bar, uh, <laughs> Books A Million, Barnes & Noble. Uh, you can go to ketoreset.com and order from there if you want. We have some uh, some other tabs that you can look at to explore a little bit more in detail. Ketoreset.com. Um, and then, as always, Mark's Daily Apple is the blog. Um, written an article there every day for uh, just over 11 years now. So, Boy, are my arms tired!
1: <laughs> Eleven years, wow! I, I'm going on, going on six or seven on the Bulletproof website, and uh, and your your endurance and stamina is uh, is is pretty amazing. And uh, uh, full respect, Mark. Thanks again. And, and if you're listening to the show, you know Mark's work has been some of the the really foundational stuff that's moved. Uh, what we know about online around health. So he doesn't mess around when he writes books. If you read the last book that he came on to talk about, about exercise, it shifted the paradigm um, of what you would do for endurance training so you can use a lot less time and get a lot more results and do less damage to your body. And Mark certainly learned that doing it the old way and now doing it the new way. And um, he's shifting his uh, his nutritional knowledge with his new book on, on keto here. So it's worth a read and I'd encourage you to pick it up. Thanks, Dave. You got it, Mark. All right, everyone, if you like the show, You know what to do head on over to itunes you go to bulletproof.com itunes because it's easier that way and leave a review just say hey i like bulletproof video it's worth like 10 gazillion stars or just five or four whatever the top one is i appreciate those reviews i actually look at those reviews anytime you leave a book review for mark uh, for me on amazon authors like us that's one of the things that motivates us to write our next book and it, it really helps people know whether the book is worth their time to read it's the greatest honor for an author to know that someone read the book and that they got really good value out of it So take 10-20 seconds to leave a review for your favorite authors It matters more than you can possibly know because it gets us fired up. Have an awesome day
0: The human upgrade formerly bulletproof radio was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey